0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. So, you know, it was funny, Ax, I was watching a little television and I thought my house might burn down because so many sparks were coming out of my cable TV. Is all the hyperventilating that the campaign has hit the rocks for two of the candidates. And, you know, these were these were important moments, but these things have a lot of moments and maybe... Voters are a little more patient than uh, those of us who watch it minute to minute.
1: Patient or they're actually living their lives. They're not (laughs) hanging on every development of the campaign. I mean, we relearn this lesson every campaign, which is that voters focus late because they've got other things going on in their lives. And uh, I mean, activists are focused. There was just an AP poll out uh, in the last day that said uh, uh, only 35 percent say they're paying close attention to the campaign, and only 22% of uh, Democrats say they know a lot about the candidate's position. So, first of all, this underscores why this these debates this week could be, uh, you know, important in terms of people f- tuning in, getting acquainted, uh, but secondly, it underscores what we know, which is that all these events that become the decisive events on cable TV— uh, often come and go. But we had a couple last week. And I think the important thing is I always judge these events in, in terms of what lessons do they teach us about these candidates or campaigns less than is this going to be uh, the end of a campaign. So uh, we had two candidates struggling. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, young mayor of South Bend, Indiana, was uh, had to get off the campaign trail because there was a police-involved shooting uh, in his town that roiled the great divides that we've seen in cities uh, across the country, and he struggled to uh, deal with that issue. Uh, and uh, you, you, his town hall meeting in South Bend, probably the first town hall meeting in South Bend, Indiana, that was televised nationally, which is a reflection of how well he's doing. But l- listen to a little bite of this.
0: The effort to recruit more minority officers to the police department, and the effort to introduce body cameras, have not succeeded. And I accept responsibility for that.
1: Do you understand? Get
2: the people that are off the streets! Re-
0: Yeah, he's learning about life in the faster lane when you go from 1% world near the top. You know, I took a couple of things away from all this because, you know, it, as you say, it's not only a, a measure of the thing, the problem, but how they endure it and how politically adroit they are at handling it. And I, I was a, a little surprised. I mean, it really hangs a lantern on his big problem, which is the all brains, all head, no heart. And I thought, you know, he was doing kind of the McKinsey problem solver, and he was taking responsibility. Kudos for that. But he didn't really emotionally connect to the pain, which is a skill you need as president. The, the other thing that amazed me is they have known this is coming for a long time. Not this particular shooting, but other problems in the police department. They have that issue with the tape
1: that they the fired, judge had, He fired the African-American police chief. Who was very popular. Who was taping, yeah, so, taping other officers secretly because he thought they were uh, making racist comments about him.
0: And arguably uh-huh. illegally, which is you know why the tape is tied up. But I, I saw one of the things that Mayor Pete did this week or last week was he went to the ceremony for the new rookies. And there were, I think, five or six white officers sitting right. there. And I thought, why not have somebody who's politically smart, or why didn't they, back at home, getting in front of stuff they know is coming? Because if you're a governor or a mayor, an executive job, you're off at the Hog Festival running for president – Trouble is always going to pop up back home, and you need to have a good team on top of things to get in front of them, and there appeared to be none of that.
1: Yeah, well, they would argue that uh, they tried and failed. That's what he he said. I don't think that's going to satisfy uh, many people. The, the problem for him is that he has seen as a great challenge for his campaign, the ability to break in with African-American voters. He's still down at 1%. Uh, With that group, he's done better uh, among whites, and uh, this is going to set him back uh, in that way. But the bigger thing is the thing you point out, which is Pete Buttigieg has already demonstrated that he's got the intellectual capacity to hang with the big dogs here and to do the job. The question is the other part of the job, that ministerial part of the job that requires you to connect with people on an emotional level, You know, we don't know. We don't know if if he can get there, and this was a setback. I will say one thing though: uh, for two hours, Americans saw him actually doing a job, talking about a a, a, a grave situation, and that is, uh, uh, you know, it underscores the fact that mayors have real jobs. You're not flapjawing all the time. You're not debating. You're not trading jibes. You're you're dealing with real things. And that, if there's a silver lining around this uh, or uh, in this cloud, that is it. But um, undoubtedly, and we'll talk about the debate in a minute, this will come up uh, on Thursday night when he's on that debate stage. And it's not something that he necessarily anticipated having to deal with in this setting, not the thing that yeah. he wanted to focus on.
0: Well, totally. And it, the way it shakes that up is he probably wanted to do generational stuff vis-a-vis Biden and Bernie. Now it's going to be racial relations night. Uh, Kamala is going to be there to give him a few lectures and he's either going to be excellent at it, which he has to be, or he's going to stumble some more and it'll get worse. And we all know the law of gravity in a Democratic primary. If you cannot connect to black voters, you're not going to be the nominee at the end. So he's got a lot of running room, but he is now in the business of moving this needle
1: or the peat momentum is going to stop flat. The uh, the issue of race uh also intruded on the Biden campaign because of a comment that he made. He made what I thought was a very important point, which is you've got to be able in a democratic system to deal with people whose views you don't always embrace and sometimes whose views you, you, you deplore. Uh, But he chose a terrible example and talked about how he uh, worked well with uh, two virulent um, uh, racists and segregationists and, uh, Jim Eastland from Mississippi, and Herman Talbid, Talmadge from uh, Georgia. And in the course of making that comment, which was at a fundraiser, which is pretty much where uh, you see Biden speaking, uh, he he uh, made a reference to the fact that Talmadge called him son. He didn't call him boy. And this inflamed Cory Booker, who saw an opportunity to uh, jump into the debate and it occasioned a question from al, al sharpton after an event in south carolina so let's listen to that
0: mrs king said to me you can't say things that hurt people it hurts when you talk about boy i it mean means it. something different to us it, it hurts when you call a racist like you normalize you're not that's not the biden i got to know don't don't I, you understand no I, oh, I do fully understand that's not what i said though they didn't print the whole deal you know what i mean You know,
1: I do understand the consequence of the word boy. So to me, the problem (laughs) is it's not that he's a, I mean, Joe Biden is not a racist. I don't think he's insensitive uh, to these issues. Uh, And, you know, he he is sitting there with 60% of the African-American vote, largely by dint of his association uh, with Barack Obama. But it does speak to his repeated habit of talking himself into a jam. I mean, this was just yeah. tone deaf.
0: It's a tremendous contrast with Mayor Pete, who if if judge if is all head and no heart, Biden is all heart and no head. There's no language discipline. He just kind of emotes. I mean, you know, the, the poor Biden, because... He wants to be Reagan. He wants to have that Irish twinkle in his eye, connect to voters outside the Democratic base to win the general, do well in Trump counties, you know, connect emotionally to people. But he's really Bob Dole. And when he is allowed to, and I'm, by the way, a huge dull admirer, but but when he speaks from the heart, he gets back to legislative history and backward-looking stuff and wants to tell stories about bipartisanship and you know how he worked with people. It all comes from a good place, but it is not particularly what I think Democrat primary voters may be looking for. So the question is, if you're in the Biden campaign, you have the horrible vice. On one hand, do we try to make a hero out of the fact that, oh, Joe Joe talks from the heart, he's not scripted, he's authentic, but you're going to have this roller coaster. Or do you put him in a straitjacket and watch him wiggle around like Houdini trying to escape? Neither is optimal. The middle is the best, but that requires a language discipline that Biden just might never be able to
1: achieve. Yeah, well, I think they've made their decision. That Al Sharpton interview was only the second interview that he's done on television. He did one with The View right after he got uh, into the race. And, you know, so they are keeping him in a cocoon here, trying to have as little opportunity to uh, make these kinds of mistakes. But I- I've said it before. I'll say, yeah, I don't think you can get away with that uh, yeah. throughout this campaign. And, he, you know, he is going to have to use this campaign to prove that he can handle it uh, and that he is he is, you know, that he ha- hasn't lost it, that he's not past his prime. And you can't do that if you're in a pro- in a protective program here. But totally um, the
0: cocoon campaign is always a nightmare, too, because the press narrative is, look, look, he's got a he's got two fingers out now. He's wiggling. Uh, he's doing something, you know, uh, he's trying to blink now. You, they cover anything but the message because they think that's fake. And the whole story is can't can he escape? And by the way, Biden will escape. The best cocoon in the world can't not let Joe Biden be Biden. you know older guys have been in politics a long time. Don't change. Biden will talk about bipartisanship forever to his credit, but maybe not to the joy of the campaign would like to get him out well, of If you're going to talk about
1: it just don't talk about it and use segregationists as your foils for the story. That was the tone deaf. Part of it, you know, I mean, I think this bipartisanship thing is central to his message and it'll either fly or it won't fly, won't fly with young activists probably, but, but choose the right examples. And this, this has been a problem throughout his career, but it, it could be exacerbated by the fact that the man is 76 years old.
0: Exactly. I, I think there is something for him. If he framed it as I've been in the good fight my whole career and I've won a hell of a lot more than I've lost, here's how. You know, so you kind of explain the benefit of doing some of this stuff rather than launching into, I'll never forget, in 79 when we made that deal with Strom Thurmond. Um, it, It just may be a little too old school. These master legislators, the Scoop Jacksons, the Bob Doles, potentially the Joe Bidens, the Ted Kennedys, they don't always transfer well to the requirements of being a modern presidential candidate. Maybe that's a tragic thing, but
1: that has been the reality. And, you know, he grew up in a time when you had to go to the post office to buy stamps. But that's no longer true, is it?
0: No, it's not. You know, it's weird. I was working on a transition, too. He better not mail it in, but it is true. <laughs> Look, I go to the post office a lot. I like sending letters. I like sending notes, but not You never be send a me one, man.
1: I have not gotten a note from you. I'm a little upset to you hear know, that you are a I, note writer. I th-
0: once upon a time, I think I did, but um, it probably didn't get through the Secret Service there. I'm on the list of dangerous uh, uh, letter writers. But anyway, the post office, There's so many things you can do, but it is a hassle to go. So what's amazing about, here it comes, Stamps.com, and I've actually used Stamps.com uh, in my business. It's a real time saver because it adds efficiency because you can literally have like the post office in the drawer of your office.
1: That's right, whether you're a small office sending invoices and online seller shipping out products Even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it with ease. You can do it all right from your computer and you can buy stamps as well without leaving your home and they'll get sent to you and you get five cents off every first uh, class stamp and up to... 40% 40% off priority mail. So it's a
0: it's a good deal. Exactly. And you know what? Because you and I know people, our listeners are going to get a special offer that includes a four-week-plus free postage trial and a digital scale, which is pretty cool. It's not enormous, too. So it, it adds to the efficiency. Anyway, you get all of that without any long-term commitment. All you got to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in those magic words,
1: Hacks on Tap. Stamps.com. Enter hacks on tap. You're going to love it so much you're going to want to send us a note. So before we get to the debates, we we, we have to check in on, uh, on the president of the United States. Another wild and woolly week, and it continues into this week. It looked like uh, we were about to engage militarily with Iran. I'm glad we didn't. But uh, according to the president, we were 10 minutes away when he learned that there'd be civilian casualties and so he uh he he held back after the shooting down of an American drone uh I find it mind-boggling to think that's how it actually went down and I don't think it probably did go down that way but by today he's back and he is uh, promising to obliterate uh Iran if they do anything uh to respond to the new sanctions that he just put on yesterday. I mean, it's whiplash, uh, but does it yeah. have any political implications?
0: He uh, also got the name of the Supreme Leader wrong, saying he was cracking down on the dead guy, who's, of course, busy voting in your home city right now. So I, I don't, don't know. A I, nice sliding I, in I, the I, slander. <laughs> I couldn't resist the old Chief Chicago gag, despite the yeah, fact yeah. They, that... They uh, never like get the old, do they? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, hey, it's a great town. Um, look, I, I think it was total kabuki theater where he invented this thing that you know when it, it's all about the the people for me. I think this was classic Trump, where the, the rhetoric is always irresponsibly bellicose and the actions are timid. I mean, he wants to be the peace and prosperity candidate, and he has enough kind of animal cunning to understand that if he gets into an escalation chain, he has lost control. And then all of a sudden, a lot of his life over the next two years is dealing with the various conflicts we could have with the Iranians. So I, I don't believe any of the the story he told. I think because he'll never be on the cover of Grand Strategist magazine, I'm glad he didn't start an escalation chain without knowing where to end it. And I have a secret theory quickly that the the Korean thing has informed a lot of thinking around the world. There's an outlaw regime making a lot of trouble, horrible people. They act up a little. And what do they get? They get a summit and the legitimization they crave for decades. So the Iranians who have been pushed back away from the nuclear deal do a lot of bad stuff. I think have decided to poke around, make some trouble, and then send the back channel that, boy, we need a big peacemaker to come over here and, you know, make a deal, which, of course, would liberalize trade and give them everything they want. So this could turn into North Korea, too. We'll just have to wait and see.
1: He also gave uh, the Saudis a hall pass for the... Yep for the uh, Khashoggi assassination this week, all of this sends signals to the world. My question was, does it send any signals to American voters or is, is it just uh, maybe what your answer was, if he had actually gone to uh, military strikes and this thing escalates into a military, uh, uh, a military engagement, that is bad for him and therefore he will not go there.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you, you win the beginning because you're the commander in chief, but then you live with it for a very long time. And again, as the peace and prosperity candidate, it's not in the reality script. But we'll see if the Iranians keep pushing, he's in a corner now. And there is a point where we cannot let them fool around the Straits of Hormuz. I mean, they're they're yeah. acting up looking for, I think attention, not conflict. They've been rational in the past, but if not, they they will get conflict. Though I think the first casualty of this whole adventure will be the, the guy who really would like to light it up over there, which of course is uh, uh, Mr. Bolton, who yeah. if I were him, I would Google Steve Bannon because now that I turn on television and see the master strategist, you know, Bolton is driving everything.
1: That's yeah, not, not a not good not career good. plan. For the Trump leading world. man doesn't like that. Uh, But but I think just to sum it up, I think Peter Baker said it best in the New York Times when he said Trump has turned the old Teddy Roosevelt adage on its side, you know, upside down. And he so he he believes in speaking loudly and carrying a small stick. Uh, And, you know, so we'll see how that how how the American people uh, process this and where this this uh, crisis goes. Talking about stress. Uh, everybody feels stress at times. Now there is this thing called Talkspace. Tell me about Talkspace.
0: Well, it's interesting because it's mobile. It's an online way to get therapy. So it makes taking care of your mental health a lot more convenient than ever before. You provide your preferences uh, for therapy and Talkspace will match you with one of 4,000 therapists they Uh, work with on the very same day. So it's quick. You can send that therapist on limited text, audio picture, or even video messages from anywhere on your mobile device at any time. So no matter what you're going through, it's always good to be able to get some help. And this allows you to do it. More than 1 million people have felt happier with Talkspace.
1: Talkspace has more than 4,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges we all face and to match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code TALK to get your first week free and show your support for this show. That's T-A-L-K and Talkspace.com.
0: You know who might be looking for a little therapy and a little support after the uh, next week are some of these candidates in the huge debate, David. There can't be 20 winners. Yeah, well, it's uh, good there are 4,000
1: people... licensed ther- therapists, because then there'll be one for every Democrat. <laughs> every candidate. candidate. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, so we it's got two nights, two nights yep,
0: right? T- huge cast of characters. Night two was particularly big because you got a lot of front frontrunners. So let me ask really you, be the the before Elizabeth you go on, let me,
1: let me ask you about this. <laughs> Uh, they, You know, the, the Democratic Party, I think rightly, along with the networks, decided that the last campaign with a big Republican field was kind of a farce where people were limited by their standing and they had like a junior varsity game and then the main game and it was demeaning to the people in the JV game and it also uh, constricted their ability – to grow, and you didn't see them interacting with Trump and others. This time they did it by lottery. But the weird, this weird thing happened, which is now you've got, there, there are five people who are clearly top tier right now. And those include Biden, Bernie Sanders, uh, Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala Harris. Four of the five are on the second night. Elizabeth Warren is uh, alone among those on the first night. What, what do you think that means?
0: You know, I think it's pretty good for her. She'd probably like to be in the big debate, but she'll be able to run wild. She'll get most of the questions because she's rising up. The question will be two things, I think. One, the kind of middle leaguers, like you said, the Klobuchar's, the Beto's, the Cory Booker's, you know, they're, they need to get something happening or the finance machinery and their campaigns will run to a halt and there's no fuel to try to increase the voter support. So they're going to be itching to do something. And then you got the old ham and eggers at 1%. And I think the two to watch there, because they're both talented, Uh, Ryan, the congressman from northern Ohio, is kind of a blue-collar hero. And people are going to laugh in New York, but don't underestimate Bill de Blasio. He is incredibly comfortable with the language of the progressive left. He's used to that New York media circle. He's a scrapper. He'll attack people. He's tall. Uh, He may get a little notice there trying to break through in night one. Night two, that's the big show.
1: Yeah, well, just on the night one point, I assume that Warren will her her plan will be plans that she'll continue down this road of sharing her uh, her her ideas about how to deal uh, with problems. Uh, I don't know. Had she been on the stage with Joe Biden, I think she would engage with him directly. I don't know if she. Uh, will engage with anybody on this stage. The question is, who will engage with her? A lot of the people you mentioned are people who, uh, other than de Blasio, are running uh, as more center-left candidates. Will anybody uh, take a shot at Warren for being too left to win a general election?
0: You know, I think there's a shot of that because Klobuchar, who really needs to jumpstart here, um, she has been working a little to the right of some of the others. She's not for some of the healthcare stuff. So there will be obviously questions right at that premise with uh, Elizabeth Warren, are you too liberal? And that's an opening for, for Klobuchar to try to carve out some space. Now, I'm not sure carving out the right is the recipe in a Democratic primary these days, but it's something. And yeah. my guess is her finance stuff. You know, we're going to get the new finance report at the uh, beginning of next month. And uh, she probably needs something to happen to jumpstart that. So that could be her opening.
1: Well, the right is still left. Uh of center in, uh, sure. in the parlance of larger politics. But she, uh, you know, I think her problem is that Biden is taking up a lot of her space. His argument is that I can speak to uh, white working class voters, that I'm a, a moderate, that I can work across party lines. That's very much her message as well. But she could use Warren as a foil. Uh, for some yep. of that, the other question to me that I'm going to be watching uh, closely is what Beto O'Rourke does. You know, he started off um, as the f- flavor of the month after the election of 2018. There was a lot of enthusiasm about it. He's lost momentum. He's in that he is a one percenter in some of these polls uh, or close to it. Uh, he also probably is struggling on money now uh, and needs to develop. Uh, his or, or, or uh, refine his identity in this race, why is he running? The, the other one yeah. is Booker, and they'll be flanking Elizabeth Warren, Booker, and uh, Beto. Uh, you know, Booker um, is a very charismatic guy, African-American, got an interesting record uh, from Newark, um, but he hasn't broken through here. What does he do to break through? I mean, these
0: are. Yeah, that's the question. You know, they're both performers. Beto and Corey have both done well in the smaller arenas of their home states. So you never want to totally bet against somebody who's had a hit record before not having a hit record again. I think Corey will be a little frustrated because he engaged with Biden, which was good for him. And now, Kamala is going to be able to kind of take his act and go score with it on the big debate. But I, I think they're both going to be on the balls of their feet trying to break out with something. Amy has that ideological move. I'm not sure what the Beto move is. It might be the kids at the border, an issue he's been strong on. And uh, and Corey, you know, he is a talent in search of a bit of a message. And maybe he'll break through We'll see. Or at least get something going.
1: But all the people you mentioned are people who are stressing their ability to reach beyond The Democratic base, Um, even Cory Booker uh, has made that a focus. So, if there's if there is uh, any sort of conflict, even oblique conflict in this debate, I think it will be between the idea of a candidate who speaks strongly to the Democratic base. Uh, as represented by Warren. You mentioned de Blasio. He he doesn't have much of a base right now, but he does speak to uh, the base. And some of these other candidates who may make the argument that the Democratic Party has to go beyond that. And it
0: may be for them smart because it's a better finance fundraising argument, you know, process-oriented, than a pure voter hearts and minds in the primary. But that's okay. Amy, Amy needs money to get something going in Iowa to break through in the voters. So for them, probably first on their mind are the five to six thousand donors they want to try to connect with, who can go raise, you know, significant money for them. Beto has that fundraising base through the internet. Maybe he can re-energize them. Now, so night the, uh, two is the oh go yeah, ahead. yeah
1: night two no night two. Let's uh, that's the that's the one where all the other top tier people are and the front runner Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, Titan night. And you got yeah. Bernie who's got to
0: figure out some way to get back in the race because, you know, in the last three months, he's essentially been a meal for Elizabeth Warren. Well, this is my uh,
1: theory. My theory is that he he has already basically proclaimed that he's going to go after Biden in many different ways on his vote for Iraq, on, uh, uh, on some of his economic positions, on the notion of bipartisanship. Um, and... You know, my feeling is that his target is as much Elizabeth Warren as it is Biden. That he wants to reclaim the mantle of the left, and he's going to use Biden as a foil here. One of his problems is it's the same; it's it's virtually the same attack that he ran against Hillary Clinton, and he runs the risk of uh, sounding like a golden golden oldies album there. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, I remember in the last primary. He was not that good at attacking. What, what Bernie likes to do is his speech. You know, I remember when he shook up the media team and made his own ad, he got the camcorder and put it on the table and basically did his stump speech. So will he be adroit at the back and forth and kind of grinding down? I do think Biden has an opportunity. The, the one good thing about being beat up for two or three weeks through self-inflicted mistakes is the expectations are low. And he may break through if he's really good on race, if he's prepared, if he has some, again, long shot, but some language discipline. Who knows? Biden could kind of overachieve a little. I think Mayor Pete is the biggest loser so far because he's not going to get the easy generational thing. He's going to have to talk race. And Kamala has a real path into dominating a lot of the debate because a lot of the topic will probably
1: be race relations. The only top tier woman there as well. Um, Just getting back to Biden for a second apropos to what I said before, uh, I think he, you know, this is a two-hour debate. He needs to stand up there for two hours and look engaged, vigorous, uh, like a guy who uh, should be the front-runner. I think that's as important as anything. I think the optics of how he performs is going to be as important as anything he says. Of course, he can't make mistakes. If he makes a mistake, that will exacerbate concerns. Uh, But, you know I, I think just just enduring and 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 looking uh fresh and like you he, he belongs up there for two hours and that that will get him a lot down the field and the second thing is to be able to signify that he's thinking about the future and not just reminiscing about the past totally uh, if, you know if the he sepia tone the thing is not good yeah
0: the legislative review. And I'll never forget what happened in 74 in that subcommittee.
1: For Mayor Pete, yes, you're right. I think now he has to deal with the issue at hand. How he deals with it uh, is both a challenge and an opportunity. If he deals with it in a way that is impactful uh, and, and, and strikes a chord with people, Um, and looks like a guy who's dealing with real-life issues, as I said before, Um, you know, he could benefit from it, but it certainly changes the stakes for him. For Kamala Harris, I think the thing—she has uh, an electric quality. She is uh, charismatic. She has that it thing. The thing she's been lacking is a coherent message. I don't think people—they can tell you what Elizabeth Warren is about. They can say Pete is a new generation candidate— Biden is the guy who, who can beat Trump. Uh, Bernie is Bernie. But it's not really clear what Kamala's message is. This is an opportunity for her to burnish that message.
0: Totally. And I think the real test will be, we know she'll be powerful and dominate the debate on race. Can she then pivot to take it to the next step and not be one note? In other words, kind of have the best of both worlds. That's the opportunity. And I couldn't agree more on Pete. If he He's smart enough to know that he's got to go in there and dig out of the hole he's in and really achieve. And if he does it, he'll be back
1: in business. If not, then he's going to be stuck in this uh, problem for a while. Well, I'll tell you, no one knows uh, more about the impact of debates and the aftermath of debates and the process of getting ready for debates than uh, my old uh, pal Stephanie Cutter, who was the uh, deputy campaign manager of the Obama campaign, was the communications director uh, for uh, John Kerry in 2004, so who better to talk to in this pre-debate moment than Stephanie? Stephanie, always good to be with you, uh, especially on the eve of debates. Uh, we've yeah. we've done that before. Uh, tell <laughs> t- tell me what what's going on in in based on your experience. We've all had them uh, in these. Mm-hmm. Uh, among these legions of camp campaigns and candidates who are getting ready?
2: Oh, I would imagine that people are doing some mock debates today with um, lots of people on stage, but primarily trying to figure out either who is going to come at them or who they need to go after. Um, and practice, practicing how you do that, what the moments are, what the pivots are, uh, and what, what you want people to be left with. One of the Especially things that, that you're-
1: one of the things they must be working on is trying to keep these answers to 60 seconds. I right. remember how we struggled with that, with Obama. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. not his forte and <laughs> he didn't like it. Uh, yeah. but it's hard, you know, they're used to getting a ton of time. And now they—they they have, you know, they're going to get gonged,
2: right? I think it's going to be a particular challenge for people like Mayor Pete and Beto, and who are really known for, you know, their thoughtful answers, which are not confined to sixty seconds. Other people are going to be more disciplined about it. I, I have a feeling that Elizabeth Warren is going to pass the test pretty mightily.
1: Yeah. What about what about what about Biden?
2: You know, Biden. Uh, we know he's long-winded. However, he's a good debater. Yeah, he this is. This is not his first rodeo.
1: Yeah, the, and, yeah you know, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. I mean, what about the experience of having been on these stages before?
2: Right. In 2007, 2008, he did a number of them. And it, it's hard to debate 10 people, or I guess 9 plus you, um, on the stage at once, um, in terms of the the... You know, one of the things that I was thinking about, I had a candidate ask me, well, what would you do? I said I tried to find a way to turn the conversation back to yourself. (laughs) You know, whether that's through uh, an attack on someone and their rebuttal and then it comes back to you. Try to find a way to pull the conversation back to yourself Uh, because it's such a limited time
0: a natural skill for most politicians. And I think, I think that will be the instinct because they're going to (laughs) figure out pretty soon. It's not really a debate. It's a joint appearance. What would you tell Bernie who's kind of lost a little momentum to Elizabeth Warren? She won't be there on night two, but he and Biden are both trying to hang on to something while others are moving up. What kind of advice would you give Bernie on what to do, how to use his time?
2: Well, I think that everybody is expecting the Bernie versus Biden show. Um, and how Bernie is going to define himself compared to the center right candidates, which would be Biden, uh, who's taking up the most oxygen, um, as well as Beto and probably mayor Pete, um, you know, what, what would I do if I were Bernie? I would be detailed about the plan, uh, that he's put out. Um, he, you know, he is the only one, uh, that has a detailed plan for Medicare for all, uh, which is. Uh, you know, a big piece of how he's defined Um, healthcare is such an important topic. Um, And it's really, you know, Medicare for all versus the others who want to keep a pathway for, for private insurance uh, take a staged phased in approach, whatever it is Um, it's really Bernie versus everybody else in that regard. Everybody says they're for universal care coverage Everybody says, you know, a lot of these guys have signed on to his Medicare for all bill, but a lot of them have also walked back uh, the idea of eliminating private insurance. So I would find a way for uh, for Bernie to go hard on that, um, particularly against Biden, um, who is is not for Medicare for all.
1: Yeah. You know, one thing about Biden that strikes me is the timing of this Iran flap may play into his hands. Uh, you know, what he's selling is experience. He's the he's the guy who can go up against Trump. He's the, you know, he's uh-huh. the experienced, seasoned leader, and he certainly is experienced when it comes to national security. And I, I'm sure he's going to try and find a time when he can face off with Trump and absence, absentia uh, over this issue of his handling of Iran.
2: Right. So it's a little that tricky. Is, that is definitely
1: No, go ahead, Stephanie, and then I'll weigh in.
2: I was was just going to say that could really be a moment for him, um, particularly because, you know, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about Trump. um, And Iran is fresh on everybody's minds. So is the border crisis. Yes. Um, So those two issues will definitely dominate. Um, It'll be interesting to see on on all of them, not just Biden, how how many of them bring Trump in on a regular basis To define who they are and what they stand for. I think there's a danger of doing that too much, um, but uh, I think we can certainly expect it from Biden.
0: Yeah, I think the border crisis will be a bell ringer, but a problem Biden has doing wise man of foreign policy is Iraq spoke like Trump. And then he acted like Biden, you know, he wasn't rash and he went to the edge. And then again, Iraq too. So we all know that a lot of quote unquote winning a debate is winning the week after the debate, because that is the noise that drives the national polling, which will all be affected by this, you know, if you give it a week, what, how does that work? And what are staffs thinking about the minute the debate is over?
2: Well, I can tell you what I would be thinking about, Uh, you know, I would going into that debate, know the three things that I'm going to pull out of it and hope like hell my candidate
0: <laughs> executes <laughs> those three
2: things. Uh-huh. and executes but those are my three and, things and pray for two out of three spin <laughs> yeah. uh, or or you know I'll just create some fake news but walk into the spin uh-huh. room push those three things and for the week after figure out how your amplifying that um, through events, through new announcements, through, um, you know, uh, things that can drive the news, um, expand on the message a little bit. You know, that's going to be harder for some of the on-the-cusp type candidates um, who are not in the top tier. Uh, but for Biden and Warren and Sanders and Mayor Pete and even, uh, even Beto and uh, Senator Harris, they should be thinking about what's the five to seven day strategy, not just what's happening on that debate. There's, there's also uh,
1: there's I'm sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead, Stephanie.
2: No, no, I was just going to say advertising comes into play here too. And David, you and I know this and Mm -hmm. uh, Murphy, you've done it on the other side of us. uh, But I'm thinking back to uh, the first debate of uh, Obama, uh, President Obama against Mitt Romney, what a disaster that was, but we pivoted pretty quickly. um, And, uh, went up with advertising the next day, uh, did a early morning uh, event, um, and drove messaging out of the night before and continued it. And, you know, it was hard to pivot um, yeah. from... That was called disaster uh, but, but mitigation.
0: It <laughs> was disaster mitigation. <laughs> Change the channel because you got to. <laughs> uh,
1: but, you know, one, one of the things, uh, Stephanie, that's changed since... Uh, and Murphy and I have been at this longer than you, but you've been at it a while. Uh, but, you know, you were involved with Kerry in 2004. The role that social media plays, even during the debate, uh, is a whole different dimension uh, sure. than we've seen in the past. And uh, do you imagine these campaigns are setting up social media batteries to to try oh, and yeah. drive? Because yeah. reporters do look at Twitter, and they're writing their stories,
2: so. Yeah. Unfortunately, the repor- reporters do look at Twitter, but reporters are reporting out what they think about the debate in real time on Twitter. Um, and that's that's how we realized how bad that first debate was going for us right. um, in ten back minutes. in
0: 2000.
2: <laughs> and, and 10 minutes of the debate, we knew we had lost. Uh, Well, this is going to happen
0: uh, again, because Trump is going to be live tweeting the debate. And I I think one of the middle level candidates could make a smart move by responding in real time to a Trump tweet with the right forceful response, because Trump will not resist trying to participate in this thing. And there could be an opportunity there for somebody. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. But, you know, I would, I would, if I were the campaign, the campaign can be communicating in real time with your supporters and not so much the media, the media narrative is going to be so quickly. It's going to be very hard for anybody to influence that. Unless you are, unless you have a big breakout moment or unless your name is Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, um, think about your supporters and what you want them to be left with and how you communicate with them outside of the lens of the media. Um, and and, you know, focus there
1: a little bit. Before we let you go, how, how important do you think this first set of debates is? What, what will the impact of these be, particularly for those candidates on the bubble uh, and those beyond the bubble who are, you know, what I call the one percenters, the people who are one mm-hmm. percent and lower? Um, mm-hmm. How important are these two nights?
2: They are really important and for different reasons for everybody. And it, it's still early and there's going to be a lot more debates. We know that, but for people who are struggling to get over the 1% um, and know they're going to have a challenge getting on the debate stage in September because of the change in threshold, right. it's a really important night to figure out how you break through and, and then how you amplify it. I mean, Julian Castro uh, is, you know he has he performs well at these forums or on the ground at events, but it's really hard for him to break through the media narrative. If he has a good night, that could mean uh, lots of uh, money for him, but also lots of support. So it's really important for the one percent, for those that are in the the second tier, looking to to move up. Um, you know, again, if you're not Bernie or Biden or so Warren, so Beto Booker Klobuchar Beto Booker right then. You know, I think that you want to be presidential. You want to show that you can beat Trump. You want to show that you have the experience and the vision and have a plan for the future and uh, can be that person who can take Trump on. You know, for Biden, you know, he's got some cleanup.
0: (laughs) Well, More, more than a little, it's a nightmare when your big goal is to survive, to get a little fundraising going by exceeding the margin of error. Where you don't statistically yeah. even exist, and uh, the problem with those candidates is they can clog everything up because they're you know doing tap dances or magic tricks, desperate for attention, and the the bigger players watch the clock tick away.
1: My guess is that Biden right. Biden will uh, that Biden will overperform people's expectations because he does have oh, the experience. Yeah. Anyway, let me just say. You are one of my favorite hacks, Stephanie, and you are now one of us, Uh, and we're happy to have you, (laughs) and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming. All
2: right. Thanks.
0: I bet a lot of candidates wish they could uh, get a little debate insurance, and insurance is something people procrastinate on. I know I do. It's just it, it's wearying at times. Well, procrastination on insurance can actually work in your favor. For example, if you need life insurance, but you've, like all of us, has been putting it off, congratulations. You've managed to procrastinate just long enough for
1: technology to make it easy. Couldn't agree with you more. not the thing I love doing most. So anything that makes buying insurance easier is good. And policy genius is the easy way to shop for insurance online. In just two minutes, You can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance, if not debate insurance.
0: (laughs) So candidates, anybody, loyal listeners, if you need life insurance but have been busy doing literally anything else, check out Policy Genius. It's the
1: easy way to compare all the top insurers and find the very best value for you. PolicyGenius.com. Nobody wants to shop for life insurance. That's why they made it easy.
0: Well, Axe, it's time for Mailbag, our listeners who we love. We'd like to hear from you at HacksOnTap at gmail.com. I think we got a couple of interesting ones this week.
1: We got a bunch of interesting ones. I I wish we could uh, do them all. It's a smart group of people. So we got this question from Caroline uh, that is really at the heart of a debate within the Democratic Party. Uh, She said, though the popular vote is trending solidly towards the left, the Electoral College makes it such that rural and typically more conservative voters have an outsized voice in electing our next president. How do Democrats break through to these voters? And how essential is it for Democrats to make inroads with some of these rural voters to win the 2020 election? This is a thing you hear a lot. You know, uh, uh, Trump won Wisconsin. Milwaukee didn't vote. Trump won Michigan by 11,000 votes. Uh, uh, Detroit had a very uh, light vote in that uh, election. Young people did not vote in large numbers in uh, 2016. Uh, Is the challenge to mobilize the base, or do you have to do a little of both? I'm in the little of both uh, category. What, What do you think?
0: Well, I've got to start with a quick historical question. You know who invented the Electoral College? Alexander Hamilton—that is the one song that didn't make the musical. What the hell were we thinking? It would have been a it's
1: hit. just to prove that Murphy is college-educated? But anyway, go
0: ahead. <laughs> well, correspondence uh, college. So I'm of the school that a little bit of both. But if there, it is a choice between running up San Francisco another hundred thousand votes or getting into some of those far suburban, exurban counties and rural counties full of kind of older, cranky white voters, it is obvious that that is where the fulcrum of the election is. And I think one of the things that Dems have to figure out is while all the short-term incentives in the primary are often or at least perceived to be to capture the progressive vote, the regular vote is watching some of these debates too. And they got to be careful not to give Trump too many tools because I don't think, you know, some of these issues... And he will be live
1: tweeting, by the way. Oh, my you know God, totally, be, yeah. Tr-
0: trying, yeah. exactly, trying to hijack it. But if you're in Pasco County, north of Tampa, or Macomb County, places Trump did really well, Luzerne County, Wilkes-Barre, um, they ought to have those voices in the back of their head because this is not about running up the score in New York and California in the general.
1: So Robert, who says he's a graduate of Mike's High School, Go, Go Blue Devils, Devils. yeah, at yeah. Rose uh, <laughs> Point Park, asks a... Uh, Ask this question. Would you agree that Iowa and New Hampshire, having outsized influence in the nomination process, is unrepresentative of America? Uh, I'd say this is particularly true on the Democratic side, where we rely on two largely white states to select a candidate for our majority-minority party. You, you hear this question a lot as well. I have to say I'm a defender, maybe because uh, Iowa uh, thrust uh, Barack Obama toward uh, his election. And it was Iowa's embrace that really launched him as a candidate. But um, there is something about these states and the process within these states where candidates actually have to meet voters uh, and actually have to respond uh, to, uh, to questions as candidates for other offices would and has to interact and have to, has to, have to appeal uh, on a kind of retail basis that I think is important and, yeah, no, uh, I, I,
0: I'm with you on that. It's a gauntlet they have to run. In theory, at least, if you have a good message and a good set of snow tires, you can actually make some progress rather than an auction. Though in the modern era, with Boston TV being so important in New Hampshire and Iowa being a caucus, which is pretty narrow, you know, that that has a bit of an effect, too. But fundamentally, the idea of two small states, followed, by the way, by the very diverse Nevada caucus and, of course, South Carolina, yeah, and then you're all the ways to Tuesday, do it. which is really yeah. a
1: national primary now.
0: Right. It, it, it's um, the best system, although I'd like to see in the Republican side an Iowa primary and a New Hampshire primary. New Hampshire would go ape over that. They shouldn't. They'd still be in an important place.
1: But uh, the caucus is a narrowing deal. So we heard from our old buddy Mark McKinnon, uh, a, a living legend, a legend hack uh, in his <laughs> own right who we have to get on this show. Uh, and he said, I know you couldn't be paid enough to go back into the human microwave. He speaks from experience. But if you had to, which campaign would you least want to helm? Uh, and you can go first. I imagine Trump would be at the top of your list.
0: Huh? Oh, yeah. I'm going you know, I've been anti-Trump since 92. All these Johnny come lately is. Um, but I would say just to live vicariously on the Democratic side, it would be Biden. <laughs> Because you got to hold the front runner position and you got to force a guy you're going to be pretty fond of, I think if as you get to know him to do things that don't fit who he is because who he is the backward looking legislator is not really what they're looking for so you it would be a grind of discipline all the time defending the the front so that would be I think a joyless march i Feel bad for my friend Steve Roschetti, who's a good guy and is loves Joe Biden, and is doing everything he can for him. But that one's a hard lift. It's the little guerrilla insurgent campaigns that are more fun, the Buddha judges,
1: the Warrens, things like that. Yeah, I mean the the joylessness is is a really important point. Campaigns. I remember when uh, we started the Obama campaign, and one of the first things that he said to us as a group was, "Look, this is deadly serious. Presidency is a." a you know, is it's the, it's the most important job on the planet. Uh, we're trying to make change here, but he said there should be joy in the pursuit. There should, be, and if and if if there's not, we're doing something wrong. And I have to say, it was a joyful, even on the bad days. Um, we had we had a good time. We had a good time with each other. One of the things that I think reflects um, some problems in the uh, Biden campaign. I said it last week, but we saw it again in this incident with. Uh, his comment about the segregationists is you saw a lot of comments from unnamed staff after yep. the fact saying, well, we tried to tell the old guy not to do it, but he did it anyway. And so on. That is a bad sign for a campaign, a, totally. a, a campaign that is working properly, doesn't have that kind of the, uh, leaks. Dis- I c- couldn't imagine uh, doing that uh, in the Obama campaign. Everything was within the family. Uh, and there wasn't this kind of uh, of dissonance. So that would be a concern. I mean, there are other, you know, it, you're absolutely right that it is great to be the insurgent. I've had that experience. At some point, um, though, uh, an insurgency that goes nowhere uh, it can be a dispiriting experience, too. And I think, you know, you're going to see some of these candidates fall by the wayside uh, come fall for lack of money lack of invitation to the fall, debate stage, uh, lack of traction, uh, I wouldn't want to be over there either. Yeah,
0: it is a, you know, the great thing, I've never had more fun in my life than working with McCain in 2000, and the fun Which is going out Which was one of the legendary nowhere.
1: campaigns, that, you know. Well, thank you. I think you. about it, it often because you guys put the press on a bus with McCain, and they literally talked to him from morning to night. I mean, it's almost unimaginable now.
0: Well, authenticity was our calling card, and we had nothing to lose. That's always the mother of campaign invention. The problem is it starts working, and then the forces of empire pivot around and out-resource you to death. So it often ends in tears, but it's the best ride you can have. So I, I just want to quickly echo on the staff thing with Biden. That is a horrible cultural sign. Somebody's head ought to roll, because what it really says is the staff are all thinking about their next gig not about how to how to die trying for Joe Biden, and it it is a troubling thing, and it Biden
1: deserves better. Absolutely, and it'll be interesting to see if they can tighten uh, tighten things up. So that's about it for us now. We will be back with a special edition of Hacks on Tap uh, in the morning the morning after uh, the Thursday debate to just wrap up what we've seen and see how smart or not smart we were uh, in this (laughs) pregame show. Uh, We
0: love you people. So we're going to be up in the middle of the night. And so in drive time on Friday morning, you can hear our debate reactions. That one's coming up. So if you like it and want to get our chatter chatter in front of more people, please rate us well on iTunes. That is how their algorithm decides who gets on the front page. So if you want to spread the news about Hacks on Tap, you can sure help us with a good rating on iTunes. And oh, algori-
1: algorithms r- rule we know that and keep your <laughs> yeah. keep those notes coming to hacks on tap uh, at gmail.com because we uh, you're sending us great stuff and uh, we want to hear from you so we'll see you after the debate X. see you on friday all right brother thanks